Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey Griefsters, please excuse my very husky voice. Uh, I actually lost it completely on Sunday and sounded like a 13-year-old boy going through some very serious puberty, so it's quite exciting I can actually speak to you now. Um, I hope you're having an okay week and the dark isn't getting to you. The dark's getting to me, guys. I don't know if I'm the only one. And also the early Christmas. Christmas can be a bit tricky and I don't know about you, but my social media is full of people just putting on their Christmas trees. It's a bit much. I'm going to wait. I'm going to try and hold off because... I want something to look forward to um thank you so much for listening if you enjoy the show as ever please do rate and review on itunes i was looking at some of the reviews this week and i was very very touched by them they are it's, you've written some very lovely things so thank you if you've already done that i genuinely genuinely appreciate it um because it is hard to do this show every week so it's very nice to know that it's helping in any shape or form at all thank you basically this week's guest is a very exciting one. Uh, this week, I'm talking to Annika Rice. Annika fucking Rice, guys. Um, I'm a big fan of Annika Rice, as you're here. I think she's an amazing lady. And I was very excited that she agreed to come and talk to me. Uh, this week, we kind of talk a lot about grief in general. We do touch on the loss of Annika's friend who died when she was in her 30s. But we also just talk about grief and how you get through it and anxiety and depression and all sorts of different things and um, I very much hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with broadcaster, writer and painter and frankly she doesn't really need an introduction. It's Annika Rice everybody. Hello Carrie I'm so excited you're here. Well I'm pretty excited to be here because last time we met was on a a Radio 4 panel show. Yes we did a Radio 4. Where we did a bit of banter and a bit of chat. Touched on, touched on a bit of death, and here I yes, am. Yes, that's interesting because yeah, you we were doing a comedy show, but you there was sort of a question about grief and death. I think probably because I was on, but they um, they didn't ask me; <laughs> they asked you, and you were so eloquent about death. And I was like, I'm going to ask Anna <laughs> to do the show. Um, Annika, there's, I mean, we have to talk about grief. There's like so much I want to ask you because I, and I hope this isn't offensive. I grew up watching you, thinking I loved Challenge Annika. 
so much, as I'm sure many of our listeners did. And I want to ask you, how did you get that job? Like, what happened? Well, challenge, it was my format. I devised the whole format because um, I'd started my career in news and current affairs. Okay. That was my training. I trained at the BBC and then went and worked as a broadcaster in Hong Kong reading the news. Wow. Sub-editing the news at a very young age. Yeah. This is all before I'm 22, literally. And um, when I came back to the UK after this, you know, quite solid bank of work and, you know, an arc that was definitely going in a sort of of journalistic journalistic, uh, serious way writing or whatever. I I worked as a reporter at Thames Television. And then this audition for this mad programme called Treasure Hunt came up and someone heard I was running a marathon and said, you should audition for it. And it was so far out of my remit of what I was doing. I did it as a a sort of slight piss take, yeah, you know. Yeah. And I ended up in Hyde Park with all these butch men who were um, being auditioned at the same time. There was sort of Daley Thompson, a lot of famous <laughs> athletes, and me. And I was the only girl. Anyway, we had to sort of charge around Hyde Park, for, you know, looking at a map and grid references and things. And uh, I just had a laugh with the cameraman. And afterwards, I heard the cameraman actually say to the producer, go for Annie. You know, she's a laugh and... and also, she's the only one I can keep up with. Wow. <laughs> so I, I got um, catapulted into a, a completely different, different career, world. which I God. still didn't take very seriously until yeah. the first day of that broadcast where I was on the front page of every papers and my whole life became a different life overnight. It was the most weird thing. Anyway, mad. I did a few years of that and endless, endless different shows. Um, It it was a hugely sort of successful, from a career point of view, uh, part of my life. And I was working on all these projects and thinking, they're great, I'm enjoying them. You know, what's not to like about being in Bali, flying in a helicopter? (laughs) But at the end of the day, that bit of telly is on Channel 4 for an hour and then it's gone. Yeah. Honestly, who cares? people have enjoyed it but what what if one could devise a program use all that program budget to go into something where at the end of the program everyone went I do care and I can carry on caring because there's something left behind it's an amazing idea and I literally is a brilliant idea I I just used it as a way of harnessing the power of telly so that you could use your we had a slot on for challenge Annika on Saturday night at seven o'clock amazing slot it was essentially a light entertainment program yeah. that we delivered, but actually it wasn't. Yeah, It was yeah. an extraordinary program where things got done and we highlighted a lot of uh, quite important issues. Um, but because it was fun and we had the buggy and the lorry yeah. and Dave the Soundman and a puppy sometimes and <laughs> God knows what. Yeah, you saw, um, they call that, um, there's a phrase for it now called like Trojan horse programming. So it's like how you get something more meaningful um, it passed like a commissioner. So there's a show called Atlanta, which was devised by, um, oh my God, Donald Glover, who's this amazing American black actor. And they sort of pitched it as like, oh, it's just this like, you know, fun comedy. But actually, it's it's like a massive critique on racism in America. So it's like this idea of like, it's just fun, guys. It's fun. Honestly, it's a laugh. Yeah, but like underneath. And you're right, Chan Chanika really, I remember watching as a child and like we were just talking about the Romanian episode and the orphanage and things that. I was like, wow, I didn't know that was happening. But you're yeah. just watching it with your yeah. family on a Saturday well, night. The, the amazing thing was we highlighted so many issues that, t- this is 25 years ago now, so we, we did homelessness, we did single mums, yeah. um, all sorts of, you know, disability was a, a massive yeah, thing we covered like, a lot. Yeah, I remember that, like trying to get things accessible before yeah, a time we, that... we did halfway w- houses for yeah. spinal injury units so that people coming out of hospital could go and learn how to... learn their life again in in a wheelchair we did the first um, commercial for the Paralympic Association at a time when no one even knew what the Paralympics was what someone in a wheelchair does sport don't be stupid you know what you've got one arm and you can swim get off it yeah yeah and we made this amazing commercial that was shown in cinemas and we did it in two days with Tom Conti doing a great voiceover with the tagline, don't let your disability get in the way of your ability. And it just showed people, blind, whatever, you know, all sorts of disabilities doing extraordinary things wow. in, a, in a sports environment. 
at a time when we just didn't know anything about it. And so if you look at 25 years on, how yeah. amazing now, yeah. because, because now it is so mainstream. We absolutely know what that word means, Paralympian. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a respect for it. Real and respect. it's not confusion. There's funds, you know, and everything. But God. So in, in a way, a lot of these projects we did, like riding for the disabled or, you know, they've all, they've all just changed, you know, on the whole, things have got yeah. better. It's a it's a very lovely program to have done. You know, yeah. it's been my life's work, really. Yeah, that's amazing. That's all I've done, really. <laughs> I think you were amazing. I really do because I think it was like I, you know, I remember watching it so vividly, and like you said, it was this a very sneaky program because you just thought, oh, she's so funny, and Dave Sandman's really funny. That's sad. That's bad. That's happening. It was like that awareness thing that was that was amazing, and it's funny because you are so full of life. But here we are talking, well, making you talk about death. So who are we remembering today? Is there someone specific we're remembering today? Well, do you know, my I've had a, a felt a lot of grief in my life. Um, I know a lot of people talk about their grandparents or their parents. I, I'm, I'm absolutely fine about death, funnily enough, if, if people die at the right age. Mm. You know, obviously, you know, that, there's just a sort of arc of life. Um, but, I, but, and, but also, I, I think grief... Is it necessarily about death or almost? Mm. I think you can carry a lot of grief for a loss, end of a relationship. There's, oh, yeah, there's so many ways you can carry grief through life. I got honestly, I've got first class honours in grief. I've got oh, really? a brownie badge and a girl guide <laughs> badge, whatever other badges. So, you what was do. your first experience of it? Like when you were young? Well, I had uh, no. Um, I think I had a, a bit of a troubled childhood. To be honest, I wasn't very happy always very insecure so a lot of my restless energy of moving around the Mm. world and looking for things is always to do with sort of filling a void you know Mm. Uh, and then in my 20s I discovered complete happiness when I met my husband and you know I was so happy so contented so secure for the first time in my life because I'd never had security as a child it was as a child I just always felt like my uh, rug was being pulled from under my feet which is what we describe as grit when my dad died that's how I felt like someone had done the tablecloth just all the time just at at every day you expect to be caught out and that's how I sort of felt as a child just growing up with my rather dysfunctional family and then when I suddenly uh, after I'd worked in Hong Kong came back to Britain I just had this extraordinary decade of being utterly contented and utterly happy and then in my early 30s my whole world collapsed and do you know honestly I've never I've never moved on from that moment which sounds pathetic and I'm talking to someone whose dad died when she was 15 and she's still talking about it so like I am not a mover on her either and and I'm saying with a huge smile because I'm not saying it for any sympathy I laugh at myself that I am just yeah yeah literally ridiculous the way my life at say 31 32 sort of stopped Mm. and so I have no expectation haven't since of of to ever feel that security again wow it doesn't occur to me what happened oh well I you know without going into details my marriage split up which was utterly devastating to me uh, for all sorts of reasons I'm still great friends with my husband, mm. actually, which is really nice because we, you know, it was a sort of, you know, no blame thing. But it it sort of ended for all sorts of complicated reasons. And at the same time, my best friend, my one and only, you know, cause I'd, because I'd had a weird childhood <laughs> and travelled a lot, I didn't have a lot of bank of friends yeah, like people yeah. who've been to university or anything like that. I could never go to university. My parents couldn't afford to send me to anything like that. So I just made my own history if you like and um and my best friend who I'd known since I was six who genuinely was that one person mm. died tragically 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 um and I I was with her you know up to her death I was with her body after she died and so that and my marriage splitting up I was yeah, that's huge. annihilated because mm. I didn't really have any other points of reference because at that time, remember, I was so famous. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't go out the front door without usually four or five paparazzi just hovering because it was in the days where yeah, yeah. there weren't that many famous people. So if you yeah, were one yeah. of them, you were really stopped. <laughs> I couldn't go anywhere with my little children yeah. without outriders following me. God. I mean, it sounds so weird to say it now because I can't 
you know, obviously yeah. now I'm not at all famous, but I really was then. So yeah, you were. I remember it was at, you were huge. Well, because there weren't that know. many. There were only sort of four channels. There was no yeah. sort of YouTube. So if you were, on, no internet. If you were on BBC One on Saturday night, the yeah. whole what we all watched you like that was that was it. That, yeah, all those um, things happened in a space of a year and a half. Wow, that's and, a lot to deal with. Well. No, it shouldn't be. No, but I it is for me. No, it I don't think me. that's for you. I think that's a lot to deal with. I do. But I, it was because I didn't have anything else. I didn't have a comforting parents yeah. to turn to. I didn't have a bank of old university mates. Yeah. I'd been living abroad. I was very famous, so a lot of people felt they couldn't even approach me. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. sort of, uh, and I and I am quite hermit-like. So my my life was very much my husband, the kids, my best friend, and my yeah. best friend um, who died also had kids the same age. So that was my little life. Yeah. I was very happy with that little life. We had um, Emily Dean on, who's a broadcaster and writer as well, um, many episodes ago. But and her sister died, and she said something that's really stuck with me. Which she said, "I lost my witness." Mm. So she said, I lost my witness to my life. Yes. She'd had a really bohemian, crazy upbringing. Yep. Yep. And she said, when it... Oh, when you, such a good word. Yeah. I, I really get that. And she said, when she felt like, you know, she could turn to her sister and go, God, do you remember that time that, you know, that man playing Doctor Who came around at one in the morning and we were made to do a play for our parents? And her sister would say, yeah. And then she said, when you haven't got someone to say, do you remember? Yeah. You think you're a bit crazy? Because yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. Um, did I make that up? Yes. And I thought that's a really... Yeah, a really yes. great word of what those people mean to you. Well, Flea, my, my friend, was that person. Oh. She was a really, uh, you know, we'd sort of known each other since six and she was my witness to my life. And so was she from the same area then? Yes, and we'd been to school together. Oh. And then, you know, she drifted apart because I was in Hong Kong for three years but was still sort of mate. And then, because um, I, you know... And she's she's very organised. She was a very clever sort of stockbroker wow. and very organised. So when she got pregnant, I thought, oh, God, it must be time to have a baby. <laughs> Honestly, I'd have never thought about it. <laughs> and then she had another one. I thought, God. So my, both of my, my two wow. oldest children are six weeks exactly <gasps> behind hers because as soon as she got pregnant, I went, oh, my God, thanks for letting me know. Yeah, we're supposed to be doing this now, My career we? was so busy, yeah, I barely had yeah. time to even know who I was. God. So um, losing that witness, thank you for that, and my marriage breaking up, and so losing my utter best friend, yeah, who course. also was a witness. Yeah, he, and the witness you know, meant, I guess, me. to your fame and that process, which is exactly. a strange process, having, yes. you know, I, I'm vaguely known in a tiny circle, but I've got friends who are very famous, and watching someone go through that, it, it is very strange, and especially if you've seen them beforehand. Like you said, yes. when they were a normal person and suddenly yes. people approach them with that strange look in their eye, and you're like, that's just my friend, why are you looking them? Because yes. they mean they start yes. meaning more yes. to them. So, so my husband, we'd met just before it all. You Amazing, know, just yeah, all. yeah. And so he was amazed. So yes, my the two people who'd sort of just been by my side through yeah. that weird process and enabled me just to not be that person. I mean, yeah, to behind be grounded, the front door, yeah. we were just a normal family the the weird thing is that the the grief that you then carry through life is is ceases almost to become about the person mm, yeah. it's just about the the memory of that 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 gut-wrenching yeah, yeah. feel and, be, and because um i was i was trapped behind my front door because mm. of this fame god, thing yeah, such a difficult and situation. i just oh god it was really, it was so such an unhappy part of my life. I just remember pacing up and down the room every day, just like a sort of caged bear, just not knowing what to do, and obviously just flinging myself into the love I had for my children, but uh, not not really being able to escape and not having a great bank of friends who yeah. all went, oh, you poor, you know, we'll come round and here's a shepherd's pie, you know, yeah, like you hear yeah. of people who leave little parcels on the doorstep. Yeah, I yeah. Didn't, just didn't get that. And also, like you said, different such a strain what you're going through is such a specific niche situation yeah, and I couldn't really yeah it was very difficult to uh to even describe to people and honestly people would have gone well get over it mm. you know you've only split up with your husband or whatever but it, it I was think just you're very, you're very light about this thing like I think that's huge no though. no no but as I say most people 
it's perhaps, nearly 30 yeah. years, Carrie. Well, most dude, people... I'm 20 years in. I'm still talking about it. Like, <laughs> No, but most people would have got remarried or replaced it. I don't know. I don't know. Was... Like, I think it depends. Like you said, it's... Because I, I know I had this, like... So my dad died 20 years ago, and I'm still talking about it. Whereas if you speak to my brother, obviously similar situation, but he's like, yeah, I don't really feel the need to keep talking about like it it happened and you know he's his attitude is so different to mine and I think like you said it I think it depends so much on like fundamentally who you are and I'm an anxious person and I have a I I think I have a fear of things leaving anyway and then when my dad did when that sort of the worst happened in inverted commas I think it made me yeah almost obsessed with that idea of things going or what happens and how you survive yes. it yes. and you know my mum's never remarried and yeah. I, I, some people find that some people find it surprising and other people are like mm-hmm, I get well, it everyone thinks I'm all my friends now because obviously oh, yeah. I don't want to paint this picture that I'm yeah, yeah. still a pacing bear <laughs> because I I relearned yeah. my life um, I, I struggled through for a few more years because I was still filming the challenge program and then I literally took a sabbatical for 15 yeah, years from yeah. public life, from, from work and went to art school and rebuilt my life, you know, step by step yeah. and have the most wonderful friends now, you know, literally. Um, like you said, it takes time. It, uh, you just have to take time to become friends with people, don't you? So I guess at that point you said you just hadn't had them. I, well, I hadn't had them because I'd just always been travelling and very self-sufficient with my yeah. My little gang, yeah, and uh, you know, my because my fame came when I was only twenty-two. Uh, it's very weird when you when you're that famous. That's people so people young. don't really approach you. Yeah. You know, everyone goes even if they're at school with you. Suddenly, you're slightly unapproachable. Yeah, they imagine yeah. you're sort of sitting in a bath of champagne <laughs> with several naked men around you, <laughs> fanning you, and beating you. If, whereas I'm so down to earth that. My life hadn't changed at all. I was exactly the same person and still putting out the rubbish and getting up on a stepladder, cleaning out the gutter. But everyone imagined I was unapproachable. So it was a very weird one. Especially at that time, because it's interesting you talk about celebrity back then, because like you said, there wasn't a lot of celebrities and it was just anyone who was on the telly. That was it. It was one world. And also, like you said, there wasn't access. So because there wasn't social media people were like the same as they would have been like in the 50s as a starlet. Like we didn't know what you did, you know, whereas now you've got Insta stories and Twitter. And I can, if I like someone, I can just literally go, oh, I can see their house. I know what they think. And I can almost get bored of them. I can be like, oh yeah, okay, there they are. But back then there was still this complete inaccessibility to everybody. Like... Yeah, you know, the most we would have seen you is if you'd done through the keyhole. Like, then we would be like, oh, that's where she lives. But that's, yeah. like, as near yeah. as we would have got to yeah. somebody. Yeah, it was, it did you have um, counselling? Did you go um, down that road? I or? have had Cariad Lloyd over <laughs> nearly 30 years. Uh, I've had every kind of therapy <laughs> you can imagine. Hypnotherapy. Yeah. Just on all I've wanted, I've just wanted to take the fear of it all away yeah, yeah. I, it's not that I've got even an image I mean honestly my husband and I are great mates but I literally have no urge to yeah. be with him yeah it's not about like it's unrequited not, love it's no, about no. something painful it's, happened to it's me it's what it makes me feel which is mm. this ske- you know you yeah. talk about feeling anxious I'm, I wake up anxious every day really yeah same you know just my because th- I expect something horrid's going to happen the yeah. whole time yeah. And how do you, because I'm an anxious person. I got, I got, well, I got literally diagnosed with it a couple of years ago. And when I told my mum, she was like, but we're just worriers. We just worry. Mm. And then the more I read about it, I was like, no, mum, it's a thing. Like, it's a thing. And I remember saying to her once, some people don't wake up worried. And she was like, who? She was like, who oh, are these I people? I love your mum. You <laughs> see, I wake up black. I'm yeah. with a heavy heart, oh, uh, deeply sad every single morning in my life. Yeah. Really weirdly. Even if I've no reason to, actually, yeah, because I've that's... got gorgeous children. I'm so lucky. Mm. I'm embarrassed. This is a ridiculously embarrassing conversation. <laughs> no, but, you shouldn't be because it's about, it's about this thing I'm that we don't talk about. Because maybe yeah. people will listen and think, yep. oh, thank goodness I'm not alone. Because actually I feel 100% better hearing that I'm not the only person that wakes up yeah. being so shit. Yeah. Because you're yeah. happily married, you've got a child. Oh, and people look How? at the same as me. They go, oh, well, you've got everything. And I remember like... Um, so do you think we're just... Na- that's just a condition then? I think it's... Well, this is the more I read about anxiety. It's like, it's a mental health problem. Yes, but I didn't have it for those 
blissful yeah. years in the middle when I felt secure, you see. So yeah, although, I'm not sure whether it's I think it's I think sadness is different from depression. Yes, that's true, that's true. Yeah. It's funny because my therapist is always saying to me, like, I'm obsessed with having no anxiety. Like that's what I'm looking for, the blissful moment. And I have it very occasionally there's a blissful moment where there's nothing. And she's always saying to me, That's not real. She's always like Everybody, there is an ordinary level of anxiety. You should, you should, of course, think, oh, I've got to cross the road or I must pay that bill. And, and she was like, she sort of, her theory is like, sometimes people with anxiety, because you live with it all the time, you're like desperately looking for the one, it will never be there. And she's trying to get me to accept like, a little bit will be there. Rather than, you know, how can I get rid of it completely? What can I do? What can yes. I do to feel blissful? And she's yes. like, who feels blissful? Yes. You know, you have those moments and... You know, yeah. that's not, you know, that's as, well, she was saying, it's either the extremes of it. But it's very hard if it's your baseline. That's what I'm yeah. always trying to say to her. Like, my ba- if, if your anxiety is one to ten, and like a normal person is one, like, oh, I must remember to do that. I wake up at six. Like, I mean, I wake up, yes. my level is six. Yeah. So I don't know what it's like to just be like, oh. I've got a few worries. I don't know what that's. I, I don't know what that's I like. Know. It must be so nice just to wake <laughs> up and be, rather yeah. to wake up with baggage somehow. Yeah. And it's not even a. You know, it's not that one's even. I don't even wake up thinking of something specific. No, that's what no. I mean. It's, it's just, just a feeling of dread. It's my brownie badge. Yeah. It's on my. Unfortunately, it's sewed into my nighty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got the the badge of ridiculous yeah. uh, um, feeling of sadness I mind I think mine's sadness more than mm. anxiety even which I know therefore could be curable with the right yeah. alchemy of things around but I honestly anyone look at my life and because I'm a very happy upbeat person yeah, yeah. everyone would think oh god she's just so then, happy and upbeat and that's I think that's the kicker because I have exactly the same thing and it wasn't until I started doing this podcast that I think I feel like a lot more people Maybe this is like a weird thing to say, but I felt like certain people, especially my work, understood me better because I think I come across as very sunny and I would think, why are they treating me like everything's fine? Because in my head, it's not like that. And it's again, I'm not, I wouldn't class myself as depressed, but there's a sadness and a darkness and, you know, there's another side. But I think if you've learned how to hide it, you don't realise how good you've got. Mm. that's what I have like I've got very good at being like yeah everything's great everything's fine but I'm thinking obviously it's not fine but I also I find found it very helpful when I was doing challenge and subsequently with all the post challenge projects I'm Mm. still involved with is that I find it really helpful to literally put on not uh, you know to put on that challenge mantle become the jump Annika Rice yeah yeah. uh, just just take on that persona because what I do find very uh, good at uh, for alleviating yeah. all those symptoms we've just described is I like to put my energies into to doing something very yeah. constructive, preferably helping someone else, which sounds really corny, but it makes, that is what I'm about. I've just realised I'm mm. a dark person, but I'm, I have an ability to make things better for other people yeah. which is a, a sort of you know I might as well use that that gift or yeah. that position I've got and and that is my absolute your sort of raison d'etre you know and that does make me that makes me just feel fine that sort of puts me on baseline mm. but I think that's great it's a great self-awareness to know okay well I have this feeling and it's not you know I'm not as happy or I'm feeling sad how can I use that? And like you said, I, that's what I have with the anxiety as well. Of like, the anxiety has driven my entire career. Like, it's mm. driven me. Mm. And so that's the other complicated thing you have with something because you go, oh, I don't like it, but also I know it sort of is me and makes me function. Yes, it's So you. you're trying to balance well, the no, two that's, things. That's, that's I've de- definitely got a big realisation of yeah. that. That's come in the last decade where I just go, well, that's just me. Yeah, that's I mean, just that's I just me. I'm a bit weird. <laughs> I am a bit strange. I'm a bit dark, but uh, let's you know, let's get on with doing yeah. some t- some useful stuff. And as soon as I, it's a bit like a piglet or eel. Oh yeah, so yeah. Piglet saying, as soon as piglet was useful, he didn't feel frightened anymore. And I, yeah. that is my mantra. Yeah. And I, as long as I'm being useful and and sort of channeling, yeah, that empathy. It's also just to accept that there's there's two sides to everything of like that that feeling produces this sense of justice which gets like you said a you know disabled access project in Cornwall up and running like but it also can cause that morning to be hard like nothing is ever 
black and white mm. to use a terrible phrase but like that's it there's there's always consequences and positives and negatives yeah. of a feeling we we talk about that so much on the show of like grief can destroy you and can be the most painful thing in the world but it can also get you up and yeah, sort you out yeah. and and that doesn't mean you're glad they died, but there is always a positive, another consequence, really. Yeah. Well, I, I don't like yes. na- naming them as positive. If, if I was just had a, a really balanced, jolly yeah. life, I don't think I'd have done anything because I'd have been yeah. too happy <laughs> yeah. in my huge mansion, which no doubt yeah. I'd have had with lakes and the garden and a little <laughs> rowing boat. I'd just be too baz- busy yeah. enjoying the... the whereas I, I've taken on that role of being like slightly the dark artist in the garret room <laughs> suffering i mean i quite enjoy it. I, let's yeah. face it caroline i talked myself <laughs> into it i'm bloody loving that yeah but it's real and it's i think that's yeah. thing you can't i feel like you can't ignore what you can see and if you're someone who can see the problems in the world and see the pain i, I can't go well everything's fine i can't i have to like you said empathize and understand that If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. We should talk about your painting. So have you always... Have you always been artistic or did that come after all well, these griefs? At school, uh, I didn't even know there was an art room at wow. the school because I went to quite an old-fashioned school and uh, you either did chemistry and Latin or you did art and, and cooking or something. Wow. And I never saw the art or the cooking, <laughs> I'm afraid. I was always uh, channeled the other way. I did my O-levels when I was 14. You wow. know, that's why when I um, joined the BBC on... Um, one of their production training courses, very young, you know, two Ooh. years ahead of myself, which yeah, is another yeah. reason why I think I, I, I sort of lost friends along the way because I was always a bit young for my year. Yeah, yeah. So when you're um, 11 and you want to run out and play horses in the playground and everyone around you is talking about boyfriends and going for a cigarette, <laughs> it's difficult to connect. Yeah, I feel you. So yeah. I didn't have a lot of school connections yeah. really because I was always... A lot younger than everyone else. Yeah, and I, yeah. I remember when I left school feeling hugely elated when I joined the BBC age 17. Wow. Uh, because suddenly everyone was different. It was like the feeling I had when I saw the Rocky Horror Picture Show <laughs> for the first time aged 15. I yeah. thought... This is this is what the world's about. Yeah. Otherness, David yeah. Bowie and changes, you know, all those things made you think, oh, yes. yes. Oh, good, that's fine. <laughs> so once I'd left school, 
you know, I found this other world of people, all different ages and yeah. colours and creeds, because I worked at the World Service. And so oh, you'd wow. go for your your lunch at lunchtime in the canteen and there'd be Indian people in their saris. And, oh. and my job was booking all the um, stringers um, overseas. So I'd go, hello, Delhi, this is London. <laughs> and it would, you know, I'd speak to Mark Tully, the correspondent from oh, Delhi. Wow. So I had a great sense of the world yeah. and different things and other things. But I still hadn't discovered anything creative at right, that stage. Yeah, yeah. And it was only um, once I'd been working you know, flat out for a few years that I said to, to my husband do you know, all I actually, while concurrently with this mad success yeah. all that's happening <laughs> I would like to become a Jane Austen heroine and learn to play the piano or relearn to play the piano because yeah. I had had piano lessons and paint. Wow. Perhaps sing. So I did. I did singing lessons wow. while I was working. Yeah, yeah. And Nick bought me a book called Step by Step Art School and a smock and an easel. <laughs> and I became obsessed in that way that I am yeah, a very yeah. obsessive person. So after these that huge grief, did you start painting in a very... Did your painting... Was it helpful to you? Did it become a kind of therapy um, or...? Well, I... Once uh, my life had imploded and I'd become the pacing bear, I, I enrolled at Chelsea College of Art. Wow. Because um, I, eventually I just went into the BBC yeah. um, and said, right, I'm giving up work. And they were horrified because obviously <laughs> I had a very successful Saturday yeah, night show. Yeah. But I'd done six years of challenge. That was over 60 big projects. Yeah. So I was always... I'd come back from Romania the next week. I'd be going off to Croatia yeah. to to work on a project. This was post the Homeland War when there was still you know snipers everywhere, and it was a very dangerous place to be. And we worked on a, a war, a, a school that had been blitzed in the war, and we had the UN protecting us. We had Serb snipers in the hills. Oh my you know, gosh. half the time I didn't know whether I was going to get home. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we worked in a Malawi refugee camp. You know, we worked all over the place. And, and I just thought, I've done this now for six years. And apart from anything else, someone's going to get hurt. Yeah. Because we had so many volunteers. And, mm. and it had gone well. And I yeah. always think, quit <laughs> yeah. while you're ahead, in a way. Yeah, Do you yeah. know what I mean? So Everybody's I, okay. <laughs> I went into the BBC and said, I think I've, I've, I'm going to leave it. Wow. for a while and they were really good about it wow. and um that's a huge decision because like you said you were massive and and no I don't think again I don't think a man could have ever done what I did yeah, because yeah. you couldn't because I was earning lots of money doing yeah. not not doing challenge particularly but um but all the rest just of, all the it, yeah, of the other shows and if you think about your peers that idea with the when you are a BBC name like even after your show stops you then move they go and do a game show or they host this and they host that they're at children need and they're sort of still there yeah whereas in your I just dropped yeah. out you just totally I just dropped yourself. out completely I thought wow. it might be for two years it was near on 15 wow because I just suddenly found a real contentment in um, in the painting in being a mum yeah um being just you know I'd go off to school in the morning with my kids basically we all went yeah. off and did our things and came home at tea time and showed each other the pictures we'd done it was lovely I think and I found a contentment yeah. I think that was a very contented period of my life when the children were very little and I my you know it was yeah, yeah. domestic I'd never had that really but I always think I'm always interested when people make big decisions like that because what it screams of to me is a, a very intense um sense of self-preservation which I think some yeah. people don't have. They would just yeah. carry on. Or, or, or they're so so ruled by um, financial gain. Yeah, financial I mean, you, or and, ego. And fair enough, yeah. especially ego. Yeah. It's like how... Whereas I genuinely thought that if I stepped out, I'd become unfamous because that's all I wanted. Yeah, I yeah. I just longed to be able to... You know, I'd go out with a Thomas and Josh when they were very little and we'd be in a taxi and get dropped off somewhere and the paparazzi would be waiting for me on the pavement wow. and it freaked me out. How yeah. did they know I was going to get there? Honestly, it was like bodyguard. It was oh, the same God. sort of yeah, stress. Yeah. How does everyone know where I'm going? So I did really try and become unfamous. Yeah, yeah. And of course... Um, Hilariously, of course, you never do become unfamous. No, you sort of don't want sure in that. Especially people who are famous before the internet. Like you said, it's a different level of fame. Like because because it's think, everybody knows. Everybody you're knew, not just yeah. a niche so like, uh, YouTube yeah. generation gang. Because now or, my you yeah. know my younger cousin will mention people. I'm like, oh, I don't watch that channel. I haven't seen YouTube. I don't know this. Yes. But you know that. 80s 90s fame it's like you know from my from my mum to my younger cousin like they 
they know who you are. Like it's a very specific. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. There was we had nothing else to do. Nothing <laughs> else to do <laughs> we were, at all. Watching those four channels very happily. Yeah. So the painting as sort of therapy, like well, it's ha- not. Except what it does do, Carad is, and I've got lots of other people painting and I mean doing I mean it is true doing anything creative yeah. is so fills a big dirty great hole you know it just yeah. really fills a void and it if I go into my studio and you know I, I sort of pace around it and it's like a sort of wonderful sort of spiritual experience really I'm sort of thinking right today I'm going to work on that and I'll sort of walk around it a bit and pace about and then I'll go into the studio coffee radio on and then I'm in the zone yeah and I really am in that zone so it is and I totally get why it's therapy or whatever whatever you want to get out of it it is so and I'm I'm the same when I'm writing you know playing the piano anything all those Jane Austen things (laughs) has got me through just call me Jane you would be a great Jane Bennett I'm just saying that out now absolutely perfect absolutely perfect but it's interesting like so with your grief with your marriage and your friend did you did you feel a moment when you were like oh I'm coming through this no because shortly after that I lost two more friends so I'm still in my 30s and I've so the other two witnesses really yeah, to my yeah. life also died oh god what happened cancer and a brain tumor oh god so it was extraordinary it was almost i just thought oh my god and i funnily enough when i did treasure hunt um frank our lovely sound guy had a very kind of hippie wife who wrote re- did tarot cards oh wow and she did my tarot cards and she went oh my god the level of success and light and amazement and then she said oh my god when you're 31 and she uh, the color went from her face and she couldn't even discuss it and i just laughed because of course at that point i was oh all sunny and happy god. but it's so true it was a it was a shocker of a decade really in my 30s but having said that i had two amazing children so as I, I know, say, and it's, you know, it's, it's it's ups and downs, but that must have been, yeah, that must that's a lot to deal with, like you said, when you don't have that sort of strong grounding. Of no, like, well, I had no, I no strong family to yeah. say, can I come home for lunch? And yeah, and you just, look after you know, me. No, so so that, how do you think you did get through it? Like what would what sort of got uh, you through that Very slowly, yeah, very very slowly, and no um, miraculous anything. <laughs> Obviously, just the love for my family, yeah. And it was just very little. And then through my children and, and sort of feeling, it was all in my head, I felt I'd become less famous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd pick, drop them off at school and instead of sort of uh, rushing back under dark glasses, thinking, everyone, look at me, yeah. I would stop and chat, you know. And so I, I became a different person and, and much more open. And yeah. so I then... Started yeah, people came to ga- you, and I've got a lovely gang of friends. Did you ever speak at those these three funerals? Did you have to? Did you do in like eulogies or anything? Um, I did at two of them. At two of them, oh, yeah. How was that? Well, that's fine because I've got a job to do. Yeah, you see, yeah. You're as soon useful. as I go into, I, I've spoken at so many funerals. Oh, really? Everyone always gives me that job because they know I'll um, do it. Yeah, and I won't cry. Keep I'll it be together, very, you yeah. know, because that will be. That's what I mean about having this very kind of professional, yeah, Annie, and the sort of complete ridiculous <laughs> other person. Well, we've talked about a lot, a lot on the show. A lot of people we've had on have spoken because that's the thing they know how to do. So it's like if you have a problem with your mortgage, you know, you go to your friend who's good at maths. Do you know what I mean? Like you don't necessarily yeah. go to your comedian friend. Yeah, but when it comes to public speaking, you. I think it is something we, we're all used to. It's not, like, terrifying to us. Yeah. And so you do think, well, yeah, I, actually, I, I know how to do that. I know how to make my voice stay the same way. I know how to hold the audience. Like, yeah. even though you're sort of like, I didn't expect to use these skills in this situation. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, but it, that sounds like you had a real... And also friends who... Because I have lost a lot of friends. Yeah. I have lost. I mean, another lovely friend of mine, Paul, who died quite recently, asked me to do his... Eulogy. So he asked you before he died. Died. Yeah. Wow. Because he just and he said, "I'm asking you because I just know you'll do it beautifully and hold it together." Yeah. He just knew I would. It's a weird thing. Do you know what he gave me what? as a as a death present? <laughs> a present in his will. Oh my God, this is amazing because he knows that I'm obsessed with with beds and sleep because oh, okay. I always feel very safe in my bed if I'm having a dark day. Yeah. I, I, 
can't wait to get into bed at the end of the day. Um, and so he got me for every bed in the house, new um, mattress toppers, linen, oh, duvets, wow. pillows, you know, Everything, beautiful yeah. thread count sheets what and pillowcases. What a lovely present. A death present. A death well. present. So did he buy things for everybody in a kind of like... No, I think uh, I... Oh, no, you were special. I, I think I, I got the linen. No, I, he, he, you know, he's quite organised like me, yeah. which is, you know, you tend to have friends who are similar. So he, he thought about it because he had cancer. Wow. And he, that was just what he was going to do. And I've, that's, I think uh, that's made me... Uh, organize my own death a bit. Yeah, because I want to talk about this. We yeah, met. you said this, and you must say this. What? Tell us your death plan. Well, Annika. it all started. I used to do the breakfast show on Radio Two, and I always used to talk about death because I just think it's a good idea to talk about death. Yeah, I look after. Well, I did. Uh, one's died now, but I do a lot of befriending in my local community. So there's three elderly ladies, all oh. in their nineties. Wow. And uh, I'm sort of, you know, in touch. With them to varying degrees. Anyway, one day they all came round to my house for lunch, and we sat round. And I got out my um, Ewe Boom, you know, my microphone thing, speaker rather. I put it in the middle of the table, and I said, "Let's all one by one go round talking about the fa- favourite pieces of music, perhaps pieces of music you're thinking of having at your funeral." Oh wow! And if that sounds weird. I don't know how it. No, it, I think it's we, we built up to it in conversation. Yeah, 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 you didn't I didn't suddenly say right. <laughs> Roast chicken and now let's plan your funerals. <laughs> we built up to it very gently and it was just amazing. My son, who was at school then, my youngest son, came back to, to see this scene and they were all going, oh, he's rather dishy. <laughs> anyway, so he came in and joined in and we just, wow. one by one, I'd say, Stefania, let's start with you. What is your favourite piece of music? And it was all sort of classical. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what piece of music would you like to hear at your funeral? And then we put it on. And, of course, they couldn't believe how this music could come out of this yeah, speaker yeah. that you just put in the middle, by the, the middle. roast potatoes. Yeah, it was yeah. a speaker. So that was rather amazing. So we just went round one by one. And then my son, who's a beautiful pianist, played a bit of music for them. Wow. So I really felt that was a wonderful day for them. Yeah. And it focused their minds and... And made them, you know, we they, we talked about death for about an hour. And I said, it's so nice to think that your friends will come and they'll all listen yeah. to that bit of music. Yeah. Anyway, a bit weird. No, but, that's not weird at all. I think that's, um, I think I like what an amazing about... person you are that you allowed them that experience. Well, but... I, it's an unusual experience <laughs> yeah. to, to but it, it evolved. It, I didn't just sit down and say, right, we're now going to do We were talking about yeah. things. And, and when, you, when you're very old in your 90s, you talk about death quite a bit because yeah, it's yeah. so near. But to and allow, it's good to speak about it. Yeah, it's amazing. But to allow those elderly women that space to talk about it, because yeah. so many people are frightened. So yeah. when it comes up, they shut it down because yeah. they're like, "Oh, oh, you haven't got, you've got plenty of life left in you yet. You'll be all right." And, no, it's, and no. then the doors close. Let's face it; it's yeah. going to be quite soon. Yeah. You're ninety-eight. Yeah. There's not going to be many of what these left. But this needs planning, Stefania. Yeah, fast. No, no. I mean, I talk about it like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm quite. You know, let's let's just. Anyway, it was so amazing, but mostly because they didn't know that this speaker could create <laughs> this huge wall of sound oh, yeah. in the kitchen. And so we all sat there with tears running down our cheeks, yeah. but in a in a rather together sisterly way, Yeah, me and my 90-year-olds. <laughs> anyway, back to the Radio 2 breakfast yes, show. Yeah. So I often recounted these stories on the breakfast show, talked about right, my, yeah. uh, my gang that I befriend and uh, then um, Carrie Fisher died and her coffin was in the shape of a Prozac pill Yes, and I thought this is is the business so we then started on the radio show this thing about what would you put your ashes in and it became very creative and exciting and everybody was talking about it oh that's amazing and I was I always said I'd like to because I'm obsessed with the colour blue I said I'd like my mixed up in some blue paint and I thought maybe even just left in the blue paint with mum written on (laughs) three pots for my three sons and then I took it one step further and thought no I'll ask a friend of mine who's an artist to paint three paintings using my ashes amazing that's I think one of the most beautiful ideas I've heard because I think it's so to do something creative I know people plant trees I like that and sometimes it's made into jewellery which I kind of like but I've 
what if you're going out somewhere you don't want to wear your dead father? That's my only thought. Yeah. And I just think to have a painting in the person's favourite colour is Yes, I mean, the so tree or the garden's lovely, but you move house. So yes, that, for someone yeah. like me, would make me fret. Yes, because then what happens to your tree? Tree. Yeah, I I mean, do you have that. sort of rights to that tree? <laughs> Visiting rights? Has it? Yeah. And my, at the moment, my dad's on the mantelpiece and my mum's under the snooker table. <laughs> and I there's not a day goes by when I don't fret about I should be doing something with this and my sister and I go oh god we must you know this is too many years have gone by now this is getting out of control so I thought actually something practical yeah was quite nice I mean people do fireworks don't they yeah there's all sorts but I think it's there's something very beautiful about one color and one painting like being and that you're like you said like your friend's death present I think knowing that the person made that decision for you yes. it's very nice I didn't have a great relationship with my grandmother but she about 15 years before she died split up all her like you know her necklaces which you know they weren't worth anything but she sort of specifically gave everybody something yes. and even though we had a very strange relationship I'm so touched that she decided so, I would get this one necklace yes. you know and so it's much better to deal with it when you're alive yes I always say saying, this Karen, yeah definitely it? always because yeah. The other thing I think, if you haven't experienced a lot of death, then you haven't experienced a lot of the death arguments that happen after someone's died and not been specific. Mm. And I think that is one of the most, that's not talked about a lot actually, is one of the most uglier sides when people start mm. going, well, I wanted that box with the thing on. Well, I said that. Well, she said that. And it yeah. gets really, it's really sad because, you know, they're your family, but of course you're going to get into those discussions. So I, I said to my mum the other day, I was like, you should write down where you want things to go. And she's like, oh, oh, you'll sort it out. And I was like, no, no, no. I love my brother, but we can row about literally anything. Like, that's a skill we've been taught, is to row with each other. Um, so I was like, please, because I don't want to have a row about who's going to get that picture. Or, you know, even, they're not worth stuff, but yes. it's, you know, the sentimentality yes. of things. So. Yes, no, I think it's really good if you can... Uh, sorted out yeah have front. a bit of a if you can obviously if you die tragically you you know it happens over you know knocked down by a car you but that's why it's but, sooner rather than later yeah definitely and what do your sons think about that are they happy they think I'm quite bonkers but <laughs> I think they think it's it's good yeah. you know I think they're relieved yeah. to be honest yeah. that they're not going to be left because they know I archive everything well, you know that's yeah. one thing they know about me they can have a big sort I out. keep everything I've kept Everything from wow. their lives, but edited everything. So yeah. I've got their best essays when they were seven, oh, up to can't... their every tooth. They's yeah. I've kept everything wow. because because I I think because I had such a turbulent childhood. I think I obsessively wrote down everything to anchor myself. Yeah. I'm, I'm convinced of that now as the older person looking back at the younger. Yeah, yeah. I'm so desperate to to have a something that was really solid and reliable yeah. that I wrote everything down I've, I just haven't lost that I yeah, just haven't that, lost that at you all you learn that f- whatever you learn as a child stays with you and if you learn the fear of that thing you, then that's that becomes like you said integral yeah. to your personality but they're, they're completely different they of keep course, yeah. nothing because they've had you keep everything I've, they've had me keep everything so they're like I don't need to keep but anything mum will keep it they can't even because they're boys they're not interested in the same way but the girlfriends oh yeah love yeah. the yeah you know, they love the way I can just bring out a little poem oh. that one of them wrote for. <laughs> I mean, that is adorable. <laughs> My mother-in-law kept everything and, you know, and actually, funny enough, we had to sort through a lot of stuff. And she'd kept like his, um, you know, my husband's an amazing writer and she'd kept like all his, when he was like nine, he'd yes. written a play and stuff. And even though some of it, he was like, okay, I, you know, we're going to flow this way. The going through it was quite an, a nice experience, yes. weirdly. Yes, yes, the going yes, through yes. it and having that moment and being like, oh, there's my childhood, there's this person. I was really important to that person at that time and this is why they kept that and reminding you yes. of love, reminding yes. you of you were loved. Yes, because so, it's done through love. Yeah, you're yeah. Only keep, and you only keep things that utterly show your children off in the most perfect yeah. light. Yeah, 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 yeah. any shoddy essays, can I just say. <laughs> There's no bad photos. I burnt all your terrible paintings and believe me, there was a lot of them. You know, I've, I've edited it yeah, as a yeah. thing of a work of art for them. <laughs> That's so interesting, isn't it? Because we live in this world now as well where people say like, oh, Instagram, you can like edit your life and you can make it. But you're right. We've always been doing that. We've always been keeping the best things. Like we've always thrown away and not told everybody. Like that's why we're good at doing it on social media because we've learned how to do it for thousands of years. Of yes. like, yeah, I'm not going to read everybody this one. It was bad. But the one I got an A star for. Yes. <laughs> 
<clears throat> Welcome to the Christmas family sit down. I'm going to tell you my poem. Yeah, that makes sense. And it is yeah. all about love. And I suppose, especially because you're an artist, like you said, it becomes a, a piece. Like, it's a piece. It's yeah. an installation, really. Yeah, it is yeah. a whole sort of thing. It is definitely a thing. And I think definitely if you've had an insecure childhood, the effect it has on you is... is um, it's like, a, I always think like a light going through a prism, you know, like it's like myriad what it does. It's not yeah. just like, oh, I'm a bit anxious. It's like, there's so many weird things I do that I think, oh, yeah, that's because I lost someone extremely quickly when I was 15, at a pivotal moment. And yes. that, you know, you find yourself doing things thinking, I don't know if you do this, but I get annoyed. I'm like, oh, is it because my dad died? <laughs> like every single question of weirdness is like, well, yours is my dad rather died. lovely because you can link it back to your father, which I think is rather lovely. Mine's just almost self indulgement because I can't link it back to anything. It's just a feeling I have inside me of yeah. that feeling of when I was in my thirties, when I was just so insecure. So I'm not. It's not. Li- I have to stress. It's not related to the the human beings involved no, at no. all on any level but it's also not with my dad to it's go not. back to that yeah or anything i i've totally moved on from that but it's just i haven't slightly it's very existentialist i just haven't yeah. moved on from that uh, but that's how i feel because it's not my dad and you know in a way i didn't really know that person that well because i was only 15 when he died and obviously the first few years i didn't really remember what i was doing so it's become that's exactly how I feel it's not the person like if you said do you want that person back here now I'd be like I don't know because I'm a completely different like what would I say to them you know you said yes. it's not them it's losing someone in the and the way you lose them and the age you lose them like you said you were in a very secure place and then two big things happened that pulled the rug which reminded you of your you know childhood so I think it's like you said it's existential it's not like oh, this person would come back and it would fix it. It's like, no, it's knowing that life is not stable, I think, yes. is what it did for me. It made me go, oh, life is, you can't, I always say, it's like you're at the deep end, you go to put your foot down and you're like, oh, shit, I'm, a, I'm at the deep end. I thought it was in the shallow end and I can't put my foot down on the water. Yeah. That's how I felt a lot yeah. of the time. Like, oh, I didn't know I was at the deep end. What? <laughs> I thought I was in the shallow end. And that's what that death did for me was like, oh, life is not always quite what you think it is. And that's mm. a hard lesson. No, but also, you know, let's put it in massive perspective globally. You oh, know, life yeah, is yeah. really tricky Yeah, yeah. for probably 90%. Mm, yeah. humanity really tricky like you know, tricky in a way we're, we're not even brushing on so uh it's all i think what's useful about our very sort of little yeah pains and pains traumas, and yeah. traumas which, are, which are part of being human yeah, so they're, yeah. they're real and big to us because yeah, you yeah. can only relate to how things make you feel as a human being but I, you know, I, I do sort of bring myself up the whole time and think, oh my goodness, this is not is there's there's bigger bigger things out there, which again goes back to challenge and all those things. Is yeah, why I yeah. love doing all those projects because it just did absolutely make you realise what was going on in the world and feel such a sort of love and empathy and for for your fellow human beings. Yeah. Really, it's such a balance because I totally get like. I, you know, I always think like life is this huge long scale and there's always people worse off than you and there's always people better off than you. You can't, you can only sort of deal with, like you said, your, your mm. pain that you need to deal with. But you're right, like there is that other perspective of like, I often think that like, yeah, you know, I lost my dad. People lose, you know, especially when we have, like we talk about the refugee crisis, people losing their entire families and stri- like it's awful what some people are going to. Mm. But your pain is your pain. Because mm. I used to have people, friends say that to me at school of like, oh, well, I can't be sad, Carrie Ad, because your dad died, like, just my granddad died. And I'd be like, yeah, but you're still sad. Like, your sadness can't be negated. You can't just go, mm. this sadness is inefficient. It must be gone. Mm. It's like, you feel it. You've got to feel it. Like, there's not... We talk about it as well, like, the hierarchy of grief. It's like, mm. there's always someone who's had more grief than you have, but that doesn't mean... But I do think it's incumbent on us as human beings to to use that and and reach out to other people. Yes. I think oh, I, yeah. I totally 100% believe in that, that we should be able to compartmentalise yes, any of our own shit or whatever's <laughs> going on and put it in a little drawer and move on. And uh, even if we're just moving on in a, a super, slightly superficial way yeah, during the day yeah, to yeah. sort of reach out to someone else... Because there's so many people out there you can reach out to. 
Yeah, oh my and God, I think that's... you know, there's just such need everywhere yeah. you look and it can just be on such a little local scale or it can be just on this huge, massive scale. And I loved what you said, really, that that is how you help yourself. Mm. You know, if you, if you do feel overwhelmed by your pain, you can help other people and that allows you to And also, heal. you know, it's... it's and you can and you can see need and people seeking help if you're if you know those feelings. Yeah, definitely. Probably if you were just very glib, happy, smug person, you wouldn't even notice need. Yeah. You wouldn't notice it. And I think that's true of people who haven't experienced grief. They don't because like, sometimes I think when you're a griever, you think, oh, how, how did this person ignore my pain? It's like they just don't recognise it because they haven't seen it. If they're, like you said, if they haven't been through a lot, their life is fine, they, you know, they're in a very privileged financial position, then you don't see it. But yes, I think that's a really true thing that if you have that pain, you do see it in someone else. Definitely. You yeah. literally, it's like a yeah. heat-seeking missile. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, well, on that note, I think you're brilliant. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me. It's been you. lovely talking to you, Carrie. Thank you. You can follow Annika on Twitter at Annika Rice uh, and see what she's up to and her paintings, etc. She is what an incredible lady. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast or you can email thegriefcast at gmail.com. Music was provided by the Glue Ensemble and the show was edited by Kate Holland with thanks to Whistledown Studios. And remember, you are not alone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.